Yeah, well, I've got to get to this thing. <clears throat> yep, can't escape it. Okay. Okay, first, what, before we even look at uh, the Lord's Prayer, okay, would you mind sitting here? Yeah, because I have to the way. I don't want to break my neck. <laughs> All right, first what I want to point out is, uh, are a couple of things. Uh, Christ calling God Father was a radical departure. We're going to look at this very briefly, and then hopefully later we're going to re- uh, look at the Lord's Supper a little more exhaustively uh, in probably a study specifically designed for that. But right now we're going to look at it today in terms of our Father. Okay, so God the Father, the, the first person of the Trinity. But, again, it's important to know historically that uh, Christ calling God Father was a radical departure from Judaism uh, at that time. In fact, it's been studied, and throughout the Jewish scriptures and Jewish tradition, nobody referred to God as Father until about a thousand years after Christ. And they weren't addressing him as Father either. They were just talking about uh, like the creator's father or you know their god as father but they weren't addressing um, that uh, him, him as uh, father one of the most important doctrines in Christianity we're going to kind of look at this a little bit more is that of adoption okay Christ calls fa- Christ calls God father in a special and specific relationship in which we don't have specifically that relationship however we are adopted into Christ, and therefore we are sons and daughters in him. The Bible calls Christ our eldest brother. He's, he's the first fruit of all those who are grafted into him. But he, his relationship to the Father is specific only for him. However, again, he transfers that to his people, and we have the great privilege of, of also calling him, his, calling him Father. Um, in, okay, in the 19th uh, century, uh, they start, the, there was a new study developed uh, called comparative religions. What, what was happening at that time was typically in the history of man, the, the religions were kind of based specifically in geo, kind of specified geographically. So you'd have this section that would be largely anyway Buddhist. Uh, then you'd have another area that would be largely uh, Islam. Same thing, uh, all of those other ones, Hinduism, all of the other ones. And so what, hap- what started to happen in the 19th century is the world started kind of shrink because the ability to travel places began to increase. So the world is, is starting to be more you know, involved with each other. And so what they were trying to look for is what are the, the things that basically make these things similar, right? What are the things that make all the religions similar, like at their core? Okay, so what they were looking at was what is the core or the essence of of these different religions and how do they compare collectively um, together? What's the one kind of unified look at that? And that's where, I don't know if you're familiar, but with the uh, uh, mountain analogy uh, where basically God's like on, or whoever you call, but basically the deity is at the top of this high mountain. And 
all there are all sorts of roads there are some that go straight from the bottom to the top there are some that whirl all around there are some that go you know serve serve all sorts of different roads but they all lead to god and so they're basically saying it doesn't matter which road you take you can be a buddhist you can be a hindu you can be a muslim it doesn't matter they're they're all just different views so to speak all heading to the same god okay and so that's what they were looking at. That's where the analogy came from. And anyway, in Germany, they, they were very, Germany used to be like the academic supercenter uh, at, at that time. And at that time, in their books studying this, comparative religions, there was a common word in each one. It's, the German word is Wesen, W-E-S-E-N. And that means being, essence, or substance. Again, so... So they're looking at the, the core of these beliefs, but really in an ontological perspective. Okay, again, this is, may or may not be something we come back to, but it's just important. They're looking at the essence of what these things are. And uh, a, a, German, um, theolo a German Christian historian, probably one, probably one of, if not the most important church historian in the last 200 years, Adolf von Harnack, wrote a book in German, little book, very little book, uh, when translated, it's what is Christianity, and and it became a bestseller in in America for theologians at that time. But it was called what is Christianity. Remember, is is an ontological reference. So what is Christianity? And it basically developed. He basically came to two um, propositions, if you want to put it. Um, but two propositions that basically that, 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 that Christianity can be kind of summarized as. The first proposition, did I put, no I didn't. The first proposition is the universal fatherhood of God. You might have heard this or something to this effect. So the first proposition is the universal fatherhood of God. And the second proposition is the universal brotherhood of man. Okay. Um, now, Okay, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the, the fatherhood of, of God is specific, again, only to believers. Okay, again, when I was, that's why I wanted to preface this by saying Jews have never referred to God as Father. You'll see in the Old Testament some references to God as Father, but again, they're not addressing Him as Father. Okay, but this is specific only to His people. So it's not a universality of, uh, of, of uh, the fatherhood of God. It is an exceptional uh, uh, fatherhood of God, specified and exclusive only to his people. Now, the universal brotherhood of man, a lot of people will say, well, don't you agree or don't you uh, admit that basically we're supposed to love everybody and all of that? I mean, Christ compels us to do that, and that's true. So, again, real briefly, this is a comparison between the universal brotherhood of man and the universal neighborhood of man. All men and women aren't our brothers and sisters. All men and women are our neighbors. So we are supposed to love the Buddhist is our neighbor, the Muslim is our neighbor, the Jew is our neighbor, all of the, them are our neighbor, but not all of them are our brothers and sisters, okay? It's just something I really wanted to um, uh, point out in the beginning. Now, the, in Matthew, 
the, the Lord's Prayer comes after uh, this part, which we're going to review uh, fairly briefly as well. So Matthew 6, 5 through 8 says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. And then it follows with the Lord's Prayer. So, this is what he's, pray- he's warning us against, okay? First of all, do not pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. and on the- They just want to be seen everywhere. And they want to make this show, and this elaborate show, and just praying, 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 to make themselves the spectacle. And that's what Christ is warning against. So even when we recite the Lord's Prayer, it has to be in, in a reverential posture that he, is, he has designed. Okay, And we're going to get to that in a little bit. Here, um, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So this is why, this is why I'm kind of hesitant to recite the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. It, can, it, it has a tendency to get weakened. You miss the substance of it because you're just repeating the same thing. And it just becomes a generic, you know, thoughtless exercise. And you're just memorizing these words and you're just reciting them. Okay, so that's why, that's why, now I don't have any problem reciting the Lord's Prayer every week or even commonly, but we need to understand that the Lord's Prayer, so what Christ didn't say when you pray, pray this prayer. He said, in this manner, therefore pray. So basically he's saying, when you pray, pray like this. The Lord's Prayer is... It's kind of a guide, you know, something like a pianist, somebody who wants to be really, really proficient in piano, maybe, maybe wants to be as great as somebody like a Beethoven or, or a Mozart or whatever. Well, the, the first thing you have to learn, learning the piano, is the scales. And you do the scales over and over and over and over again until you've mastered them, because you can use the scales in any work, in any masterpiece. So even on the scales, you know, you may never get as good as Mozart or as Beethoven in playing the piano, but you can be as good as him in the scales, okay, with the most basic rudimentary part of that. And that's basically a good analogy kind of a thing about how Christ is giving us this prayer as a model as a model, and we take it and we model after this prayer. And we're going to look at this briefly. Um, okay, here's the Lord's Prayer. Okay, our Father. First thing I want to talk about is our. Let me start out. Let me preface this by saying it's important because many of us, unfortunately for you two, this doesn't apply, but many of us have, have, have been blessed with Good fathers, decent fathers, not perfect fathers, not perfect fathers by any stretch. 
but decent fathers, at least ones who care for your well-being, definitely want to protect you, do not want to hurt you, you know, those fathers. Some people find it hard to refer to God as Father because they were violated. They were abused. The one man who was supposed to protect them was the one man who violated them. It's one thing. It's terrible enough to be violated by any man like that. But when it's your father, it, it takes a different form. Again, this is supposed to be your protector. He's supposed to be the one that will die for you. You know, and, and here he is basically killing you, killing your soul. So it's important that we recognize that some people have a difficulty in referring to God as, as Father. But what we, want to fo- what we want to show them is that when we pray, we're not praying to your Father. We are praying to our Father, who will never fail us, who will never leave us or forsake us. He is the truest and greatest Father we, could, we are blessed to have. This is a sacred, amazing privilege that we get to call the creator of the universe, Father. It, just try to recognize and try to appreciate. Every, it's so, I mean, you hear it every time. Every time a Christian prays, it's Father, Heavenly Father, our Father, Father, Father. And we ha- it's so easy to miss the significance of that. And we can't. We talk a lot about God the Son. We talk a lot about God the Spirit. And somehow, we don't talk a lot about God the Father, even, that's, even though that's who we're praying to every time we pray. So it's important at the outset, when we recite the Lord's Prayer, who we're speaking to. Okay? And the, and, and the immensity who he is, the faithfulness of who he is, the love that he shares with us, and the amazing privilege we have in calling him Father. Okay, who art in heaven is pretty self-explanatory. Hallowed be thy name. This might be a little difficult to understand. Hallowed is basically another word for holy. And what this prayer is saying is basically God's name is already holy. What he's saying is Glorify that, magnify that, manifest that. You know, may your name be hallowed all over the earth. May every man and woman see your holiness. Okay, and 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 embrace it and 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 praise him in it and all that. But that's what he's saying. Hallowed be thy name. His name is already holy, but he's praying to God to make his name holy throughout the earth. Thy kingdom come. Okay, this is something I've kind of underserved y'all because at the beginning of our uh, Acts uh, series, I did refer to the different uh, ways that the kingdom of God is shown throughout the book of Acts, and I haven't been doing that because we've been trying to hurry through everything. So I've kind of underserved y'all in that regard, and we'll get back to that. But it's just important to recognize this can mean a bunch of different things. Okay, that kingdom come could be Christ's next coming. This could mean the, the, the culmination of everything where, where Christ returns the kingdom to his father. This could mean his reign now. This could mean all sorts of things. But what he's asking is your supremacy, your authority, your, your, and by the way, authority has the word author in it. 
It's the authorship. He is the one who wrote, so to speak, all of creation. So it's his authority ultimately come. Okay? Thy will be done on earth, in, in earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. Obviously, his will is done perfect, perfectly in heaven. There are no fallen people or angels in heaven. His will is done perfectly. His will is done on earth. But what he's saying is, may your will again be manifest in men and women. This is, this is, this is kind of an apologetic prayer as well. Christ is not only praying to God and telling us to pray this way, but he's also praying for the rest of the believers, for the rest of the harvest that, that he's gathering in. But he's saying, your will be done on earth just as, just as it is in heaven. When you come to your people, let your will be done here even as it is in heaven. Your faithfulness pours down into the faithfulness of your children, and we manifest his will as closely as we can to heaven. But what he's saying is, make them the same. They won't be the same on this side of heaven, but he's praying for the, them to become the same. And we should all be praying that, that the faithfulness of the church might reflect his faithfulness, of, his faithfulness at least slightly. It, she doesn't right now. That's another story. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this, again, this... this he, so redemption and forgiveness that God has poured down to his people, the, our salvation, must be, must be manifest, must be shown in forgiving others as well. And if, if we're not forgiving of others, if we're, if we're reluctant to forgive others, he should be reluctant to forgive us. Christ talks about uh, a king, I think it was a king, who was it? I think it was a king. What was this about? Oh, yeah. And basically, this, the, the, uh, one of his servants has this crazy debt, okay? And he tells him, you know, basically, um, you're going to be imprisoned if you can't pay this debt. So he goes out to all his, his debtors, and, and, he get, and he basically slices what they owed and says, you know, forget that. You, you know, this says you owe $100. Forget that. You owe 10 Just give me 10 Goes to the next guy. It says you owe me a thousand dollars. Forget that. Give me, give me a hundred. All this kind of thing. And the king is pleased by that. King is pleased by that. And so he forgives him his debt. He says, "Okay, I'll just take that. Everything's cool. I appreciate that. You're, you know, that, that's 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 a good work out of you because you're exercising the same thing that I'm doing for you." Okay. Then this this guy goes out and and he assaults somebody who had owed him money, and the king brings him back and he's like. I just forgave you. I just forgave you of all of your debts, and you go out to this guy who basically owes you a pittance, and he, and he imprisons him. We must manifest, we must reflect the forgiveness, the love that Christ and God has given to us. Okay. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, now, this is going to be a little bit hard for some people. Okay. God does not tempt us. Read James. Temptation comes from us. We can blame it on the devil all we want. The sin began with the temptation of Satan. But Satan does not cause our temptations now. We do. When we find something desirous, when we find something we shouldn't find desirous, and we're compelled and compelled and compelled, and until finally we're there doing it. 
that's, that's, that's nothing God leads us into. He will test us. The temptation in the wilderness of Christ is really a testing. It's not a temptation. Christ isn't actually tempted to, to, to worship Satan. He's not actually tempted. He is tested. He is tested to be proven, to be proven and refined in fire. So God will test us, but he won't tempt us. What he's saying here, keep us away from those sinful desires. Please purify our hearts so that they don't even come up, and they will. But deliver us from evil. The Greek, I don't like this translation. Everybody gets lost in this. The Greek is personal, and it's individual. It's not generic evil. It's not deliver us from evil. So when we say this prayer, we are not going to say, but deliver us from evil. It is, but deliver us from the evil one, Satan. That is Satan. And, and that's what, again, though, he is the father of lies. He is the father of the temptation. So deliver us from him. Yeah. For thine is the kingdom. Obviously, his is the kingdom. God's is the kingdom. We are the children of his kingdom. And the power, obviously his is the power, but we are called to exercise his kingdom and his power and his glory forever and ever. All of these we manifest now and in heaven. And he's praying God the Father will do this. God the Father is, going to, is doing this. But his son is telling his people, telling his brothers and sisters to pray like this, to, 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 to plead, God, I know this is, your pur- this, this is your purpose, but we still seek God for his purpose and for his will, even when we know what it is. We obviously know his will. Christ commanded to reach out into the ends of the earth. We ought to be praying even while we're doing that. Reach out into all the ends of the earth. We know that's his will. I mean, it doesn't, you know, he already knows it. But he, he's glad by us praying for God to do his will. Okay? Um, forever and ever. Okay, again, all of these are forever and ever. And amen. Remember what that means. Amen, amen. Surely, surely. This is basically authorizing all of this. But again, this is a model. This is a beautiful model. And we're going to consider this even more. But I wanted to specifically look at it in terms of God the Father. There's a lot in this this prayer to be considered. And and so we will. We will spend time doing that. Possibly in the weeks to come, um, but uh, I haven't figured that part out yet. But I did want to take today because I, I, I appreciate the request. I think, it, I, I, again, I don't see anything wrong in reciting the Lord's Prayer, as even uh, continually. I just, it can't be some generic repetition of words. Okay? Anybody have any questions? Good to go? Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Real quickly, because I forgot. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. What? And then also, you did forgive us our trespasses instead of debts. It's the same thing. Yeah, no, I know. But, oh. but give us this day our daily bread, real quickly, obviously means sustenance. It's, it's, it's for our bodily survival. But remember, Christ is the bread of life. And, his, and the Bible is the word. But basically, this is basically also saying... Give us this day our daily word. Fill us with your word. Increase our likeness to our Savior. And so that's what this is saying. Okay? Just skipped over that, so. Can you straighten that TV out? It's